Amen. We good? We want one, two, one, two? There it is. There it is. Can you all do me just a brief favor? Can you begin to stand on your feet if you're able and give God a round of applause? Just stand up on your feet. I know it's, it's a little late. Come on, give him some praise. Come on, give him some praise. Come on, make it high. Lift it up. Come on, lift it up. Yes. 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 Oh, my goodness. Father, if anybody wants to know what heaven sounds like, that's a sample. As we spend eternity with you, Lord, we just applaud you for just who you are. And now, God, show us just how much God you really are. Lord, I pray that during this time that we will be edified, that you will be glorified, and that Satan would be horrified. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. All right. So, um, so some of this is going to be a little bit of call and response, right? And I'll do my best to kind of engage everybody. Um, so here's the thing. By show of hands, how many of you have ever, like, cut grass, mowed the lawn? How many has ever done that? Hands, hands up. Okay, 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 okay. I get that, I get that. All right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, for those of you who raised your hands, right, put your hand up if you enjoy cutting the grass. Anybody? I see you. Okay. So I thought I was going to be the weird one in the room. So I love to cut the grass. I mean, it is a t I have three children, and it gives me like two hours to get away from everybody, right? But I love it. I love the smell of freshly cut grass. I love the edge the grass, like get, giving the grass a haircut, right, and make it look real tight. And then, here's what I love to do. I love to get in my car, and I drive down the street, and I drive up as if I'm looking at it for the first time. <laughs> I know, I know. And then, I get really deep with it. I cut the sprinklers on. I lived in Philly for 16 years. We didn't have sprinklers. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> We didn't have sprinklers, so to have sprinklers, I feel like I made it. So I cut the sprinklers on, like, this is so great. So, so one Sunday after church, I was like, I'm going, I'm going to cut the grass. So I got my push mower. It's all gassed up. And I go and I start it up. Shh, nothing. It's okay, she's old. And I got to give a little, you know, talk nice to her, and I crank her up again. Nothing. Now I'm starting to get upset after two cranks. So I'm saying, okay, on the third crank, she's gonna start up. Because I need time away from my family. I need my own personal time. So I crank it up, nothing. So then I do what any sane person would do. I go on YouTube. And then YouTube, I'm like, okay, how do I get the lawnmower to start? Because it had gas in it. 
I know that much. So on YouTube, it said, you got to clean the carburetor. Now, that's not really my skill set. I don't really do carburetors. I, I do Bible, right? I'm more of a Manny Petty kind of guy. Say, don't, don't judge me. Don't judge me. And so, but I manned up. I put my big boy pants on. I'm going to clean the carburetor. So I did what I had to do. And I go to crank. Let me crank her up again. Boom. Nothing. Crank it up again. Nothing. So then I said to myself, self, it's the Sabbath, so just chill. Deal with it tomorrow. Maybe she needs some rest. Not a problem. Come back that Monday. Go in the garage. Okay, let me grab it. Crank. Nothing. Come on, man, you're killing me. Now I got to go back in with the kids. I'm trying to get my own time. Go again. Nothing. I said, you know what? Let me go and pull up the manual online. So I get the, the, the lawnmower. Find it, pull up the manual. And so in the manual, there's a section called troubleshooting. That's it. I got a degree. I figure I can figure this out. Okay? In that section, there's a section that says, problem, engine fails to start. We're getting there. Underneath that, there's a section that says, causes. Do you know, I went down the whole list of causes, and not once did I see Carburetor. Now I'm getting upset. What I did see, though, was a lot about the spark plug. And I was like, I'm intrigued by this spark plug. So I did some research. And I learned, does anybody here know anything about spark plugs? A few of you? Yeah, because I didn't know. I didn't know how important a spark plug. I'm thinking just put gas in it and it just goes. Right? You know about? I had no clue. I had no clue. Right? So, I learned that the spark plug is too dirty, right? If it's too dirty, if it's all crusty and stuff like that, it won't start. Or if the spark plug is weak, there's no spark, so the lawnmower won't start. So here I am trying to cut the grass with a lawnmower with the dirty spark plug, and it's not doing anything. And your boy is mad. And I said to myself, how many times do we as Christians feel like this lawnmower? Let me, let me say it a different way. As I think about it, I ask myself, Malcolm, how often do you feel like this lawnmower where your heart is not clean? It's a little dirty. You got no spark. You're not doing what God has called you to do. You're not doing what you were were created to do. Have you ever had a day where you felt spiritually weak? A little bit discouraged? Um, maybe a little bit despair? Days where maybe you were not doing what God has called you to do, or you're not being who God has called you to be. Have you ever had that moment where... Maybe you've lost your spark and you're not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. There's no love. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no patience. There's no self-control. You're kind of just going through the motions. I think about my own situation, and sometimes I lose my spark because of a sin. You ever sin and lose the spark? Because with the sin comes a little bit of shame, 
and the shame kind of settles there. And then you realize you're not doing what God has called you to do because you're living in the shame of the sin. Maybe, here's this, I've lost my spark because of the pressure of life, the pressure to perform, the pressure to be the best, the pressure to get the grade, the pressure to be a good husband, the pressure to be the best dad, right? The pressure, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure. You're like, dude, like, the pressure to be what other people want me to be. And all that's weighing down on me. And I lose a spark. It got me to thinking as I was thinking about tonight. Maybe somebody here, you're sitting there and you lost a spark. Now on the outside, people think you got the spark. You've been faking it. You've been doing a really good job faking it. But on the inside, you know, you're just a dirty spark plug. Tad bit weak. Here's what I can tell you. No matter what your circumstance is, no matter... What's going on? If you've lost your spark or you're losing your spark, I came here tonight to encourage you. And I want to do so by sharing with you two things. Somebody say two things. You say, if I was Baptist, it'd be three. Because you got to do it in threes. But I'm not. I go in twos. Okay? Because it psychologically makes you think we won't be here that long. So we go two things, right? Two things to help you get and keep that spark. And the first thing is knowing your position. Somebody say position. Okay. Here's the thing. For every one of us, for all of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we've given him our lives for the rest of our lives, the Bible says we have this new position. And what I want us to do is look at the book of Ephesians, because I believe that Paul gives a great outline about that position and what it looks like. Now, let me give you some context. I'm really big on context. I got some Bible scholars in here that's like, oh, another topical message, you need some context. So I'm gonna give you some context, right? Spark plug, okay, there you go, all right. I didn't mean to call you spark plug, it just, it was, I was just flowing with it, it just came off my tongue, my my bad. Um, So when Paul writes this letter, right, he's writing this letter uh, to the church in Ephesus, Um, Paul himself, Um, This is believed to be the flagship of all his epistles, right? One of the best of all the letters that Paul has written. And it's believed that Paul is not addressing a specific theological problem in the church, nor is there a moral problem in the church. But in Acts 19, Paul knows that there are some occult practices in Ephesus. He knows people are doing some weird stuff in Ephesus. It's also believed that in Ephesus there was a lot of cultural and ethnic division. So you got a lot of East Coast, West Coast beef going on, right? You got Jews and Gentiles hating each other, Gentiles and Gentiles hating each other, just everything going on outside the church. And so it is believed that when Paul writes the letter of Ephesians, it is a form of proactive protection to help the church not let that stuff in. I believe if the Apostle Paul um, was here, he would say he was trying to warn them against future problems that could arise. And the way he did it was by encouraging them to mature in the faith and live in unity. So, when it comes to getting the spark, let's look at, we're going to start with some of Ephesians chapter 1, and then we're going to jump to Ephesians chapter 2, right? We're going to break it down. I'm going to give you some, right, give you some of that, right? And then we're going to go home, okay? All right. 
Just give me about 50 minutes, two hours. Okay, so anybody here got Netflix? Netflix, anybody got Netflix? Okay, does anybody have Netflix but it's not yours? You share somebody else's account. Amen, amen. Okay, all my bootleggers, amen. I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. Okay, so now, did you know, here is something amazing about Netflix, right? I'm an old dude. Did you know that if you scroll over a, a movie, it gives you a trailer? Did y'all know that? I didn't even know that. It messed me up the other day. I'm like, oh, I get to get like a little snapshot. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 14, I think gives us a snapshot of what the Christian life is like in terms of our position, right? And so here's the thing. When we read it, as we go through it, what you're going to find out contextually is that we have now been immersed, right, in what appears to be a time of praise that the Apostle Paul, it's like he's, he starts off the letter, he's like, let me take a praise break for one second. And he just goes, it's, it's, you read it, it's so disjointed, right? And he just goes in and he begins to praise God. He praises the person, power, and perfection of God. But not only does he do that, he also praises God for the new position that we as Christians have in him because of Christ. It's like this. Paul is saying, look, I know the culture around you is ungodly. And I know it's easy to get off track and be influenced by ungodly things. And it's easy to forget who you are. So before we get there, let me remind you about who you are and whose you are because of what Christ has done for you. That's what you got to say, amen. See, the more you talk back, I go quicker. Um, but it's okay. It's okay. I can go slow. So. The, amen. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I got somebody with me. Okay. So we're not going to go deep in these verses. Okay. So we're going to look at 3 through 14. We're going to run straight through it. Okay. Um, somebody say blessed. blessed. All right. Let's look at verse 3. We got verse 3. Bam. Okay. Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, in Christ. For every follower of Jesus, for all of us, all of us in the room, for those who have decided to follow Jesus, this passage tells us that God has already given us everything we need to thrive spiritually. If you don't believe me, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that we've been given everything to live a godly life. So the joy that you don't have is there. The peace that you think you don't have is there. The patience that you think you don't have is there. The self-control that you think you don't have is there. The love is there. The fruit of the Spirit is there. The problem is we tend to not submit to God and experience and display the full Spirit, the full fruit of the Spirit. So here's the thing. Somebody say chosen. Come on, say it with your chest. Say chosen. There we go. Say holy. holy. Somebody say blameless. <laughs> oh my. It's getting late. I'm sleepy. Um, verse 4 says this. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. You see, here's the thing, and this is what I love. Did you know that as followers of Christ, Right? Did y'all know this? That God has literally handpicked us 
out of all the people in the world. He's chosen you. With all your brokenness, he's chosen you. He's chosen me. He's chosen us. And because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that we are now declared righteous. That it is the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us. So now, when I walk, I can walk with my head held high and I get my swag back because I recognize I'm not guilty. Doesn't mean I didn't do anything wrong. I did do something wrong, but Christ died for that. And so, so here's the thing. The verse, right, read this. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It's not like a pickup game of basketball where you're like the last person chosen. Nobody likes to be that last person chosen in a pickup game of basketball or any game. Bible says that before the world was even the world, he chose you. He chose us. You know how it feels to be chosen? You know how it feels just if somebody say, look, I, I know you messed up, but I choose you. I know you're not the strongest, but I choose you. I know you, I got to do it like this. I know you're not the smartest, but I choose you. I know you may not think you're the prettiest, but I choose you. And he, and he, and he loved us, get this, before we did anything for him. Here's something. Jesus is baptized. Right? What does God say? This is my beloved son. And what? Whom I'm well pleased. What has Jesus done? Nothing. He's done absolutely nothing. And yet the Father is pleased with him. Why? Not because of what Jesus is going to do. It's just because that's what the Father, that's what he's like. This idea of being the beloved of God, in that word beloved means I, I love you just because I love you. Whether you do anything or not, so here's the thing. Before you got involved in FCA, before you joined the church, before you did ministry, before you did all these great things for God, before you sang a song or, or greeted people at church, before you did anything, God says, I love you. You don't have to work for this. I've already chosen you. And not only have I chosen you, I've set you apart. That means... You're you, and God wants you to be you, not the second best him. Be the best you, because you're unique. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Be the best you. Don't be the second best her. You can only be the best you. Be the best you. He set you apart. We're all unique, and so you don't, we don't have to work hard to earn his love. So here's the thing. When the shame kicks in, because shame is always there. The shame is always waiting to pounce. And when it tries to kick in, all you have to say is, I've been chosen. When you feel defeated, remind yourself, I'm chosen. Because God chooses defeated people. When you think you're not good enough, remember, you're chosen. When, when, when things are going, when your world is going crazy, when things are around you are ungodly and you feel this influence like, man, I want to go back to the old way. No, no, no. You're chosen. Somebody say adopted. Come on, you got to say it like you mean it, like from the gut. 
Ed, I don't know, man. It's like, adopt, 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 adopt. That's all good. It's all good. We're doing great. Here's what verse 5 says. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. The follower of Jesus is in a family. I want you to do one thing. Just look around. It's family. It's family. We're not, we not relatives, right? We're family. You know, there's a difference. You got relatives, then you got family. Some relatives you don't invite over. Family you always invite over. That, that's, that's real talk, right? And so, but the thing is this. We've been adopted, and now God is our father. And because he's our father, that means he now has the authority over us. And because he has the authority over us, that means we allow ourselves to be led by him. But not only that, that means we can always go to him. When we're weak, we can go to him. Why? Because in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. I talk about the lawnmower getting away from my kids, but the truth is I love my kids. Because of my relationship with my kids, they have certain privileges. Can I just say, I love my kids. I don't like anybody else's kids. And the reason is this. My kids can go in the fridge at any point in time. Midnight, three in the morning, whenever. Why? Because they have that relationship, and with that relationship with me, they get certain privileges and honor. When they invite a friend over, their friend can't go in the fridge at three in the morning. Why? There's no relationship. They don't, that's not my child. What I'm saying is this, because we are in covenant relationship with God, all of us get certain privileges and benefits that the world does not receive because we've been adopted into his family. And I'm going to take it one step further. Jesus himself knows what it means to be adopted and accepted because his father Joseph adopted and accepted him. So, if, so if, he, if he can do it, he's like, come on, you're adopted. You're in, you're in the family of God. I can't stay there. Man, I want to stay there. I can't. Let's go to verse 6. Somebody say grace. grace. Okay, we're getting there. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us and the beloved one. We are the recipients of the glorious grace of God. Now, I know grace is this idea of unmerited favor, right? We didn't do anything to get it. It's just given to us. Amen. Praise the Lord. But the word glorious means majestic and perfect. We don't just have any grace. Man, we got perfect grace. We got majestic grace. It's like God is like this smooth cat that's like, yo, I'm just giving you. You want grace? Here you go. Boom. I give a lavish grace on you. I give you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. What I also love about the word grace is that it also means honor and blessing. In John chapter 12, verse 26, the Bible says that God honors those that serve him. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's good to feel honored. And oftentimes we're waiting for people to honor us, and the Bible says, no, when we serve the Lord faithfully, he himself honors us. We don't need people to do it. God does it himself. The one who created the universe honors us when we serve him. 
And what I love about this is that the Father has made us heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Yo, we royalty. That's the position that we have. It's a royal position. Somebody say forgiven. Okay. This one is huge. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Somebody say forgiven. Somebody needs to hear this. All of our sins, past, present, and future, it's all been forgiven. All of it. All of it. Can I tell you this? Some of the most egregious sins I've committed have been after getting saved. It's been forgiven. Does it give me a license to sin? It compels me to sin less. Been forgiven. Now, I know there's a theologian in the house. That's a no-brainer, Mount. That's what the gospel's all about, dude. They ain't that deep. They ain't that profound. Let me ask you this. Um, by a show of hands, have you ever messed up and, you, and somebody said to you, or you said to yourself, I got to forgive myself? Anybody ever think about that? Like, you know, you just got to forgive yourself and move on. Anybody been given that advice to forgive? You've been given that advice, right? Can I tell you something? That's like the worst advice. Let me ask you, did it work? It didn't work. Why didn't it work? I know you're like, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> you the preacher, boy. You tell me why it didn't work. <laughs> Here's the thing. Anybody else try to forgive themselves? Anybody over here? No, no. Did it work? Not too much? Why not? You ain't supposed to say that, man. You're supposed to be like her and be like, I don't know. <laughs> but that's it. People tell us to forgive ourselves, but what they're telling us to do is to put ourselves in the role of God. Only God is able to forgive. That's why it doesn't work. You're trying to do something that you're not capable of doing. Somebody's like, Malcolm, forgive yourself. How can I do that? I'm not capable of forgiving myself. Because my flesh and the sin doesn't want me to forgive myself. It wants me to live in that shame, and I keep reliving the sin over and over and over and over again. And God is like, dude, if you would take a time out and just remember it's already been forgiven, all you have to do, Malcolm, is humbly acknowledge your failure and your weakness, repent, turn from your sin, Turn back to God, accept whatever consequences may come, grieve over it, and then move forward in the grace of God. The forgiveness has already been there. It's already done. So you got to move forward. Any track runners in here? Anybody run track? You good? You any good? You got to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You good? Y'all good? Okay, okay. Okay, you run track looking backwards. Can't do that. Here's the thing. I will never, ever run track in my life. I'm just not, I just don't have that. My lungs, we're not built like that. But here's what I do know. When you're moving forward, you can't look back. If you're going to do what God has called you to do, you have to get over whatever it is you've been dealing with 
except the grace of God. You can't go back and fix it. You can't change it. God is like, but what I can do, I can work everything out for the good because I do that for those who love me, those who've been called according to my purpose. So if you've been called according to God's purpose, recognize that even that mess up, God says, I'm going to use it for good. Keep it moving. Somebody say secured. In him, you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Our future to spend eternity with God is already done. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, right? And here's what I love. To be sealed is this. It means to authenticate and to confirm without a doubt about who you are. God authenticates us. And so we've been reconciled back to God. We're in covenant relationship with God. And somebody, you know, you're thinking, man, why go over all this? This is basic. This is like Bible 101. Here's the thing. I bet you when you're tempted, you ain't thinking about your position. I know when I get tempted, when I'm going through a failure, I'm not believing I'm chosen. You know why? Because I get caught up in my feelings. And as soon as I get caught up in my feelings, I forget the truth of God's word. And then I allow my feelings to master me. Then I go in what I call the inner room. And I start to have my pity party of one. And then I'm grumpy Malcolm. And nobody likes grumpy Malcolm. And so, so the thing is this, right? Oftentimes we have these memory gaps when we deal with disappointment, discouragement, frustration, temptation, death, loss, significant emotional events. But here's the thing, we've been redeemed. Move forward, you've been chosen, right? We forget that we've been adopted and forgiven. We forget that we have all that we need to do what God has called us to do. And for many of us, what we do, we revert back to the old way of thinking, the old life. We forget the position. Let's go back to the lawnmower. Did I tell you I love to cut grass? That's my thing. After all my research, I looked at the spark plug. I got my hands dirty, which I don't like, but I got them dirty. And I'm like, man, this is way too, I can't, mm, it's not going to work. So I got up, I went to the store, went to Home Depot. If you don't know this, I'm going to tell you this, me and Lowe's right now, we got a beef going on. I'm not liking them too much. So if anybody here has a family member that works at Lowe's, pray for them, all right? So I get my spark plug from Home Depot. And so I get the spark plug, I buy the spark plug, I go back, I take the old spark plug out, I put the new spark plug in, I go to the lawnmower, I give it a crank. A little smoke comes out. I'm like, oh, I got to warm up. So I, I talk nice to her. Come on, girl, start up. Come on, come on, let's do this. I need two hours from the kids, two hours. That's all I need. Start it up, boom, she's there. Well, let me say this, he's there, either way, right? So we'll call him Bob. So I got Bob. I'm sitting there pushing Bob, and everything's going well. And Bob started up, and he sounded so great. Why? Because he had the spark. And now the lawnmower can do what it was created to do because it had a new spark plug. Paul goes into Ephesians chapter 2. He says, now, I've given you a snapshot of what your new position in Christ looks like. You've been reconciled back to God. You have everything you need to live a godly life. You've been chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. You've been redeemed, forgiven, adopted. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. But let me remind you about who you used to be. Because we can be tempted to get the big head and think we all that. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Paul says, let me, let me, let me break it down to y'all. You were dead. That was your position. You were dead because you did some dead things. Right? And then, here's what you did. You followed the ways of this world. You followed the pattern, the systems. And so if I could put like a little urbanization on it, right? Um, it, he says like this. You followed the flesh. You allowed your popularity, power, politics, and hashtags uh, to guide you. You had no purpose. You're tra- chasing the American dream. It meant absolutely nothing. And you did whatever you wanted to do. You allowed your looks to become your identity. And the truth is, maybe, just maybe, church, some of you have allowed um, racism, classism, sexism, colorism, and other isms to dictate how you live. And then it gets worse. He says, and then you followed the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan. That means you yourselves, you were rebellious, selfish, careless, unbelieving, and you tried to be your own God and do things your own way. And what I love about it, he says, but not just you Gentiles. All of us, all of us were like that. We all lived out the desires of the flesh. All of our hearts were like this dirty spark plug and bob. We indulged in every sinful pleasure. We did whatever we wanted to do, when we wanted to do it, how we wanted to do it, and that was it, and we were okay with it. And we were not doing what God has created us to do. But then verse 4 kicks in and he says this, but God. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God said, you need a new spark plug, and then he said, but, but God. I love the word but, and I mean B-U-T, right? I I know it's getting late, so somebody's thinking the wrong way. Okay, because when used grammatically, right? Any English majors, anybody English? Okay, if I'm wrong, don't Google this, just roll with it. Right? It's preaching license. Like, just let, me, just let me have this moment. The idea of but, right, negates everything that comes before it. It's like when somebody says, I got to tell you something, man, no disrespect, but. <laughs> disrespect is implied, right? If I come to you and I'm saying no disrespect, but, that means I'm about to disrespect you. <laughs> but the but is supposed to negate the, the disrespect that's coming, right? You're laughing because you did that to somebody, okay? <laughs> he says, he says, I know how you used to be, but because of God and his love for us, we are now alive in Christ. Which means, here's the thing, God has done this and acted on on our behalf all by himself. He didn't need us to do anything. It was his love that activated his grace that sent us Christ Jesus, right? And here's what I love about it. You go back and read it. It's like Paul takes a break and he says, by grace you have been saved. Paul is a weird dude. He's writing. You know, he saved you, da, da, da. Stop. By grace, you have been saved. And he picks back up after that. Like, I don't know. He's tripping. But I think he does it because he wants us to make sure that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
He is our source. And because of him, we have new life. We have victory. And God has given us a spark. So when you're ready to give up, you just got to be like, yo, but God. I know I failed right here, but God. Man, I, I know I shouldn't have went over to her apartment, but God. Girl, I knew I shouldn't have had that phone conversation with him, but God. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have been online surfing the internet that late, but God. Oh, I should have sco- shouldn't have went on Instagram and kept hitting the hashtag and going deeper and deeper and deeper, but God. This idea that, that we will mess up, we will get those points where we feel like life is falling apart, we'll get stressed, but when you say, but God, you take the focus off of you and put it back on him. And then when you put it back on him, you recognize that's how good God is. Then you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and you know what you do? Remind yourself, you've been chosen, redeemed, forgiven, that this is who you are. You know, when it comes to sports, and I told myself I wasn't going to do a sports analogy. So cliche. But I figured I'd throw one in there. Any football fans? Okay. I'm not going to talk about college football. I want to make it off the campus. What I will do is I'll talk about professional football. It's a safe space. Safe space. I hope it is. My favorite team is the Philadelphia Eagles. All right? Don't judge me. Don't, Don't football shame me. Don't throw your shade. Don't hate. We struggle. Give us our moment. In 2017, you know what happened? The Eagles won the Super Bowl. Oh my goodness, what a glorious time it was. I just knew Jesus was about to come back in that moment. And then when he didn't, I was like, we got a chance to do it all over again. But then we got rid of the quarterback to help us win the Super Bowl. But anyway, not that I'm upset about that. But when I watched the game, I was nervous. I didn't think we could do it. Was shocked. It was Nick Foles, backup quarterback against the GOAT, the vampire that never ages. You know what I'm saying? Tom Brady, like, dude, he's like 100 years old, and I don't know, he's just got, he looks great. And so I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, and I'm like, oh my goodness, we, and then we won. Do you know there are certain nights where I go to bed and I start, I pull up on YouTube the game? Don't judge me. And I watch the game till I go to sleep. But you know what I do? I watch it with so much confidence because I already know the outcome. See, when I watched it the first time, oh, I was nervous. I was eating cheesesteak after cheesesteak. I probably put on like 10 pounds. I'm stress eating. I'm stress eating, right? But then when I started watching the replays, there's more confidence. You see, when I first watched the game, I was watching it for victory. That's the position. When I watch the replays, I'm watching it from victory. It's a difference. You see, when we're doing something for victory, we may not have much confidence. Maybe we overcome. Maybe we don't. Maybe we get it right. Maybe we don't. And if we don't get it right, it tends to mess up, mess us up emotionally. But when we're fighting from victory, I got confidence because I know that in the end, I win. In the end, it's going to be okay. That even if I fail, somehow God takes all that stuff and makes it right again, right? 
And so when Christ was on the cross, he looked defeated. Satan sitting back like, got you, dude. And Jesus like, nah, bro. There's joy set that's waiting for me. So I can endure, I can endure the cross, right? I can despise the shame of the cross because I know in three days I'm about to get back up again. That's victory. But then you got the practice, verse 8 through 10. We're going to wrap this thing up. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not from works that no one can boast. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You got the position, then you got the practice. The problem is too often our practice does not line up with the position. We're holy, we don't always act holy. We're redeemed, we don't always act redeemed. We're adopted, we don't always act like that. And so now we are his workmanship. The word for workmanship is poema. I'm going to go deep, which means that's where we get the word poem. It means masterpiece. You are, we are his beautiful masterpiece. And here's the thing. After this, the first real application is the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down between Jew and Gentile. We matured in faith. We have the right position to practice living unity. No matter what your background, your color, your creed, your nationality, your ethnicity, you know, whatever you struggle with, whatever you got going on, whatever your mental issue, it doesn't matter. That God is like, look, we are brothers and sisters in this thing together. And you have to live like that. And not only do we live like that, as we love God, we love our neighbors. So our position is now in alignment with the practice. So what does it mean? One, you have to embrace it. Embrace the new spark. Take it. You got to get out. Get out of your feelings. Put the focus back on the truth of God's word. You have to be confident. Be confident in who you are and whose you are. All of your value and your worth is wrapped up in the new position, not in what somebody else says or not in the other stuff going on around you in the culture, right? Cultivate things. Start living from victory and stop living for victory. I close with this. Do you know where the greatest potential lies in this country. The greatest Christian potential. Do you know where it is? It's in the cemetery. You know that in the cemetery, there are books that should have been written that will never be written. Songs that should have been Sung that we'll never hear. Evangelists that should have shared, but they didn't. Missionaries that should have gone, but they can't. Preachers that should have preached, but they didn't. Teachers that should have taught. Business owners, entrepreneurs that should have done stuff for the kingdom, but they didn't. Why? Because their practice didn't line up with the position. They got so caught up in being fearful and afraid, they forgot the God they serve. And what I want to encourage you tonight is that being reconciled to God is huge. It is so huge. And that God is calling all of us to have that practice aligned with the position. And here's the reason why. There is somebody in your future that's waiting on you to do what God is calling you to do. You don't even know who they are yet. Could be 10 years from now, 15 years from now. God's like, I need you to do it. My guy, 
need you to do it. Sis, I need you to do it. I need you to, to stop doing all this, all this foolery, right? Just do what God has called you to do. Have that kingdom mindset. Because too often we don't have the kingdom mindset, we delay, right? We, we get hesitant, we get fearful, like, I don't, what if God, what if, what if? Did you know the biggest killer to ministry and to callings is what if? And we all do it. So right now, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up again. We, we've been worshiping, right? Things have been going great. We've heard the word of the Lord proclaim. And now, I'm going to do something real, maybe off the cuff. Maybe I get in trouble, I don't know. But I get to go back to Columbia, so it's all good. If you're here, maybe you lost a spark. Maybe you feel like you're losing the spark. You've been caught up. Would you be so bold to come down and join me for prayer? I don't know what it is, but you know God is calling you to do something, and you're like, ah, I don't know if I could do it. God is, he wants you to embrace the position. He says, look, look. I want you to return to me like the prodigal son. I know you've been doubting. Return. I know you've been wanting to give up. Return. I know you didn't got caught up in the campus life. Return. If that's you, I'm just asking this. We all got our mess. Just join me. It's all good. We all family, right? No shame. Anybody. Amen. It, here's the thing. God, God has such a heart for broken people, yo. If we just humble ourselves, just accept it, like, yo, Lord, I know I messed up. I'm trying to do it. We got to stop trying to start trusting. And let me say, this is, this is not an emotional response. This is a response to the truth. Anybody else? I know you're way up. Just take your time. Come on down. Don't trip. We don't need any copays. Let me pray for us. Father, in the mighty, majestic, magnificent name of Jesus, we give you every ounce of the glory because you alone are worthy. Father, you see these, your children, you see us. And you have proclaimed in your word that we are chosen. God, we are holy, we are blameless, we've been adopted in, we have been forgiven, we have been redeemed. And Lord, you've given us all that we need to live a godly life. For those that have walked forward, Lord, and for those that didn't, Lord, we humbly acknowledge, Lord, our brokenness. We know we don't get it right all the time. And Lord, right now, right now in this moment, we repent of those things that have hindered us from running the race. 
the sin that has so entangled us, Lord, we repent of it and we turn to you. Lord, recognizing, God, that you have forgiven us and that, God, you have called us to walk in your light. We are a chosen race. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We are people of your possession, Lord, who have been called to proclaim the magnificence of who you are. So, Father, for everyone who walked up, Father, may they walk in the calling that you have on their lives. May their practice line up with the position. Lord, may they utter a but God, Lord, when, it, when doubt creeps in. When the enemy speaks lies, Father God, I pray they will proclaim your word back to them. Lord, when naysayers, Lord, say things about them, Father God, I pray that they would not bow down to the culture, but would stand, Lord, headstrong, Lord, confident in who you are and whose they are, because all of their value and their worth and their identity is tied in that covenant relationship with you. Father, I pray that they would meditate in your word day and night, and that everyone would be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Father, I pray that their leaves would not wither, no matter what the season is, Father God. And Lord, I pray that everything that they touch would prosper. And I don't mean prosper in terms of finances, Father God. I mean prosper in terms of expanding, Lord, your kingdom agenda. And Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor for what these, your children, are going to do tomorrow, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, Father God. May it start today, Lord. I pray that the, you give them a clean heart. Give them that new spark that they can do what they have been created to do in Christ. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Give the Lord a, a round of applause. Come on, praise him.